everybody, and welcome back to Beware the Artist. I am Jeremy Jersa, and with me this week, I have Kyle Bauer. Um, Kyle, if you want to go ahead and tell everybody who you are and what is it that you do. Yes, um, Kyle Bauer. I'm a Baltimore-based uh, artist, uh, originally from Southern Illinois, and uh, did my BFA at the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign, and then my MFA at Louisiana State University, Baton Rouge, as I always like to say. Go Tigers. And, uh, and uh, do sculpture, mixed media. And uh, as of 2019, would categorize myself as a newly inaugurated uh, uh, printmaker through an opportunity that uh, came to me at Pyramid Atlantic through their Denbo Fellowship. So kind of a, a jack of all trades, um, really, really enjoy three-dimensional, but, uh, you know, 2D is something that my day job has uh, kind of given me an insight too. So followed that path and have since been uh, dabbling in it. So Great, great, great. Um, so in terms of your work, what themes are you overall kind of exploring within uh, your studio practice? Yeah, um, so kind of giving a, a foundation to how my work comes about. I'm really interested in architecture um, and that is goes back historically in my life, growing up with parents that uh, collected old homes, and uh, we, we jokingly and affectionately were known as equity builders. So, architecture is really important. Domestic architecture, uh, specifically, kind of how we live in our spaces, how our spaces live on us, and um, kind of how cities. In, in a, that's a micro level, more than a macro level, thinking about kind of how cities and grids and communication kind of happens through that. And then uh, another is um, kind of tying that into maritime navigation. Spent some time in between undergrad and grad, uh, working on lake, driving boats, learning to sail, and really found a kinship and interest in the, the language of maritime signal flag navigation. So using an abbreviated um, signs and symbols to create and convey messages and how that can tie into compositional arrangement and then structures of sculptures and the prints. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's pretty wild. Um, so did you start at a young age kind of woodworking? Uh, I, yeah, I mean, growing up in construction sites, you always had in cuts and off cuts. And, you know, uh, I remember uh, there was a major roof uh, project on one of the houses that we worked on. So there's a lot of those soffit drill holes, those four inch holes that came out from the soffit vents. So we had all those round circles. So we were building all kinds of stuff. So, and then as it got on, my mom, uh, a lover of old houses, also uh, loved old furniture. So that was uh, nights and weekends kind of helping her out. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it was, it was a material that was always around and um, it's come really in handy, you know, in the last year being, being on uh, lockdown and everything, owning a, owning a home that, has needed some work and some customization, I've been able to take advantage of that. That's great. That's great. Um, so a, a lot of a lot of your work pulls from these experiences that you've had. How much research are you putting in additionally to these kind of past experiences that are going into um, these, these these projects you're working on? Yeah, um, I mean, there's definitely you know an introspective uh, element to the work in that trying to use, let's say, maybe a life lesson learned or a, um, 
an individual experience, however it might be, and distilling it down so that I have my relationship to it, but then being able to communicate that relationship into kind of a broader term. So in a way, being generally specific, if that, if that kind of makes sense. Um, uh, so there, and some of them have, some of them have the titles will, will come from those experiences sometimes. Sometimes it's kind of a non-linear narrative that's tied to it. Um, I think part of growing up in, in and around a, a culture that uh, I found very, very intriguing because it was different from the way my parents were, was I spent a lot of time outdoors, um, hunting and fishing, and I had a lot of mentors. My dad would take me fishing, but he wasn't much of a hunter. And then um, we had uh, a family friend who son uh, graduated and went off to uh, the service. And, and so he, he didn't have a kid anymore. Um, so I got adopted <laughs> and then he, he would take me out and uh, he was a naturalist. So he, as a conservation police officer, which was kind of a, I had to, I had to learn the rules by the book, you know, no goofing around with Mike, but um, it, uh, it, it's kind of given away to, and looking back at some of those experiences, sitting around a kitchen table and listening to stories and loving how, you know, the narrative would go one way and, you know, and you learn that. So kind of pulling in that tradition of storytelling and how that will inform a decision or kind of clue in a memory and, and you know, an experience and kind of bring it up, so. Um, so when you're in the studio, um, how are you actually working? Do you have kind of multiple pieces going or are you working kind of one project at a time? Um, and then in addition to that, what, what's the atmosphere like? Do you have music playing? Do you have podcasts? Is there Netflix in the background? Um, what's that situation like for you? Yeah, so um, music is important when I work. Um, I uh, probably would have to say it's a combination of staying informed and uh, with, with NPR and stuff. So I do have some talk radio. Um, and then enjoy listening to sports. If it's a if it's a, if it's a warm Baltimore night and the Orioles are playing when they're playing and they're playing well, um, I do miss Joe Angel and and uh, Fred Manfred on on uh, listening to the baseball games. Love listening to baseball and sports, football as well. Enjoyed Saturdays and Sundays. So, um, but yeah, it, it it's it's a diversity. Um, it, it it kind of has a lot. It's a day by day kind of basis. You know, some days I want to listen to music and, and it could be, you know, kind of rough and tumble Johnny Cash, you know, kind of the, the rebel to listen to some deep, deep house and yeah. kind of mellowing back and just, just playing. Sometimes it's headphones, sometimes it's blaring the speakers. Um, so kind of, you know, it's a day by day, case by case. I would say if you came in there and I wasn't listening to something or didn't have anything on the background, you might need to check my temperature. Um, <laughs> something, something's not right. But uh, in terms of projects, uh, I like to have a lot going on and that goes back to just kind of how I prescribe to um, uh, craftsmanship and use craftsmanship in my work and that it takes time so I'll tend to have a few things going at a time so that you know as this piece dries or glues up I can move on to the next one um, very much assembly line but uh, not Henry Ford assembly line it's it's, you know, it's, it's getting a few things done and it maximizes that time because mm -hmm. as a full-time employee um, that now I commute down to DC when I'm going to work, the, uh, it, it, my studio time is less and less and it's very valued. So I, I want to I be as efficient as possible 
mm -hmm. um, but not be, you know, just not kind of waste it, like appreciate it and, and, and let it serve me and I served it. Could you speak a little more to your, um, your connection with craft um, and, and craftsmanship? Because I feel as though that that is such an important piece um, to your work, something that um, can be taken for granted when we just see work online or through Instagram. Um, but when when I'm looking at your work, I, I specifically remember um, the last show I saw of your work was actually at Towson, uh, Towson University in the gallery and, and just walking around and, and seeing how the wood joins together and just the smoothness and, and the professionalism with that. Um, could you speak a little bit to, to that importance within your practice? Yeah, thank you for noticing that. I mean, that's, that's, that's an important um, foundation and an important identity to, to, to my work and to me. So, Craftsmanship was, I, I, I think it just kind of goes back to just being around the, the, the renovation of homes and then later kind of the, the, the restoration of furniture. And then my mother was the, a custom picture framer for years. So you have to have a level of skill and craft. And, and maybe that just, maybe it's a little bit Midwestern-y in that it's like, you know, if you're going to do a job right, you do it, you do it right or don't do it, do it at all. So mm -hmm. um, I always was if I wanted to do something, if I want to take it, it's like, it's that mastery. It's like, oh, I, I, it's that next challenge, it's that next step up. So there, there is that appreciation and, and, and it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's like a job, a job well done accomplishing a task and, but also knowing that it, I stand behind it and I'm invested in it. So I feel that helps the viewer mm -hmm interpret the work and and so obviously you've responded exactly to a lot of the tenements that my studio philosophy is is bound on so i must be doing something right and, and sticking to it so i um but it's uh i always felt as as a as a student but also now as a as a museum employee and have had the opportunity to work very intimately with artwork um so have seen run the gambit from work that it's like, if you breathe on it wrong, it's going to fall down to work that it could probably ride on a, a flatbed, you know, delivery truck with no crate and totally survive uh, in Baltimore streets. So, you know, <laughs> potholes and such. Uh, but uh, so we're kind of running the gambit and, and kind of feeling how and, and seeing it that I always attracted and was attracted to that. So it's kind of that fan fanboy was like, oh, well, they did a really good job. I can do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that there's this, there's a level of polish um, at, at points within the work where um, it feels as though it, it could be a manufactured object. And then I find myself kind of thinking, well, what is this object's purpose? Um, so I'm kind of going back to what I can relate it to, and then bringing myself back to the fact that it is an art object. And it has its function in an intellectual sense, but there there isn't necessarily that that physical function um, in the real world with it. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, and that's and and that is, you you know maybe that's a little bit left over from being in a ceramics program where function <laughs> is still an important part to that that material and my ceramics background. But you know, I had two of my colleagues in. Uh, in my in my class that made functional wear so there is uh, a nod and appreciation to something that has function and works because uh, you know design is really important I think uh, you know to to not talk about 
how influential and important design is to my work and, mm -hmm. and what I look at reference wise. So um, I really, really see it as, as important that um, it kind of, it, it, maybe it's, maybe it's the lure, maybe it's the attractant. It gets you the viewer to, to, to wonder like, well, where's the on button or mm, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I remember a, a, a friend who uh, came by for a studio visit said that, I think at the time her son was four or five and it was when I was a Sondheim finalist and she's like, I brought my son in there and he just kept wanting to, he kept asking this question, well, where's the on button? How is it moving? Um, so yeah, it's, it's cool. I love that. <laughs> that's, a, that's such a great moment. Um, and then you, you spoke to a little bit of it already, but um, you also have a, a background in conservation and uh, restoration. Um, how did you get into that? And what is your kind of, daily life like doing that job in addition to your studio practice yeah so um came into it uh very very much because when we moved to baltimore girlfriend at the time now my wife um i had just uh like the last three to four months when we were living in baton rouge had volunteered and then turned in um a couple kind of contract work um as an art handler and got my way into it that way and so when we moved here, I needed a job. So I just went in the security route, um, got a job in security and then watched, watched kind of how the museum worked and found the people that I needed to talk to and, and badgered the hell out of them and gave them a resume. And they were awarded me with a, a four month contract and, and then got into it um, because the ace up my sleeve is I had my mother's um, uh, picture framing, uh, her custom picture framing business. So mm -hmm. I learned the commercial side of it working nights and weekends and helping her out um, while I was in high school, well, really middle school, high school. And then when I was home here and there uh, would, would help her out. And then while I was an undergrad, cause I could cut a mat um, and I knew how to use a mat cutter. Uh, I always turned it into how to keep a cold beer in my refrigerator. So it was always being a little bit of entrepreneurial and bartering. And, and then uh, when I uh, was at the BMA, this opportunity opened up as um, just a, a matting, you know, a, it was conservation technician of prints, drawings, and photographs, which is a mouthful for being a matter framer. And I had the mentor uh, who, you know, I owe, I owe a lot of credit to Tom Primos, his name, who's now at Philadelphia at the PMA. And he brought me on and, and, he, and he said, you know, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna take this slow. We're gonna, I'm gonna show you how to do things, but this is, this is bench training and, and truly for five years straight was bench trained by Tom and, and then other colleagues in the conservation department and, and taken along in such a way that, um, you know, was, there were fast times and there were slow times, um, but it was, but it was allowed to kind of understand what it is to care for work and, you know, it, it's like you slightly take ownership of it because you're 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 ushering it into that next generation or the next two generations of by by kind of preserving it, taking care of it, um, and uh, yeah, and you get to get to see some pretty cool stuff. So and work on some cool stuff. What um what would you say is kind of the the coolest thing that you've been able to work on uh, during your time there? Um, are you legally allowed to say? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> yeah, which the, the, the thing that we're not allowed to do, and that's, and that's a very much a, 
a known across the board is we just cannot photograph inside a storage mm -hmm. facility. Mm -hmm. So that that makes sense. I mean, banks don't let you photograph inside of, of their vaults or any of that stuff. Right, um, right. You're doing it kind of clandestinely. So there's there's some common sense um, things you can't do. But no, uh, one of the fun pieces that right when I got started, um, probably within the first two years, was a Sarah Z piece that the, the BMA um, acquired. And it was a monster. I think when you unrolled, when it went up the wall, it was 18 feet. And then when it came out from the wall with all of its dressing and all of the salt piles and different parts and sculpture and cut paper, because it was actually, it was a sculpture, but it was a bunch of cut paper and it was laser mm -hmm. cut paper. So, and it was down to like the tiniest little nub and, you know, you'd move and it would be like, oh, please don't break, please don't break, please don't break. So, um, yeah, I, I uh, that was a cool piece and, and it was a, a intimidating piece because shortly thereafter she was announced to be the representative at the Venice Biennale mm -hmm. and having went there uh, in 2009 and kind of gotten the experience of being at the Biennale as a, as a grad student and kind of like whoa you know being able to oh well that's I, I see the work I know the work I know the artist and it's kind of kind of comes full circle in that so that's one that's one experience that really sticks out as my time at the BMA um, you know now at the NGA um, because of because of lockdown I really haven't had a lot of opportunities on site um, mm -hmm. just because of uh, the the, the ever-changing schedule and shifting schedule but um, yeah I'm excited you know 2021 if we do get some stuff going for the fall um, there there's going to be some projects um, there's a, a project I've been assigned to called double that looks at how artists use doubles and and or multiples in mostly two-dimensional work but it's mm -hmm. but it's an all-encompassing show so that's really all i have on that um for now uh just because it's it's kind of in its curatorial infancy but probably 2022 so um yeah and you started that job just as covid hit right yeah so yeah i started on february 2nd. Yeah, it was, it was February 2nd, I started and, you know, clamorings in the background, listening to the news, riding down to the train on DC and, you know, catching up on, on my feeling, like hearing about what was going on in China, hearing about what was going on in Italy, and then learning a little bit more. And everyone in DC, there was this palatable kind of tension. Mm -hmm. And, it, and it, I guess maybe DC always has that, um, you know, it is DC. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been there, you know. <laughs> Um, and, uh, uh, no knock. I, I, I do, I do love my DC people. They're, they're good people. Um, but no, just to, uh, it was, it was on site for six weeks, maybe six and a half weeks. And then they shut us down. And, mm. um, so yeah, I, I've learned a lot about the NGA and learned a lot about federal government employment through zoom calls. So <laughs> learn sit, sitting right here, kind of in my sterile sterile little office <laughs> such, a, such a weird time such a weird time to live in um going back to your studio practice though um so how do you actually go about starting a piece because there there are a lot of um kind of factors that that go into your work are you starting with um a sketch or do you move kind of organically in terms of reacting to what's happening within your pieces 
Um, they do, they start with sketches, doodles, mm-hmm. sketches, um, the margins of my notebooks, um, meaning notebooks, date calendar books, anything kind of very intuitively, stream of conscious. Um, it's, it's very shape driven. Um, it isn't really something specifically referenced. You know, I'm not drawing a, like a tool or a physical object. It's, mm-hmm. it, it is kind of a very crude construction of a composition. And as, as the 2D is assembled into 3D parts and pieces, those are then in some cases constructed in, in like maquettes. Um, other times it's just straight from very crude drawing to I know what I see it. That's gonna be a corbel, that's gonna have formica, that's gonna be covered in reflective stickers, that's gonna be cast ceramic. Like it almost, some of them there's very, it's very, very specific in my head. Mm-hmm. And then others it's, um, I allow intu- intuition to work, um, allow kind of, uh, you know, how some, some are a little freer, a little more fun. Others are, are very strict and, and, and very, um, very, you know, serious. And I think it's probably the way you read them is probably the opposite. You know, mm-hmm. you read, well, that one's really fun, but that one was the really strict one for me. While this one was like, <laughs> that one's very strict. And then it's like, oh, that one was easy. So, you know. That's so funny. That's so funny. Um, so much of the work um, does have this kind of back and forth between color and raw wood. Um, do you want to speak to that kind of decision-making? Because that's always intrigued me um, very much so in, in your work and also just having such a limited palette. Um, how are you making those choices? Yeah, so when I first started this, uh, kind of this body of work and over its maturation the last you know, let's say 10, 11 years since leaving, leaving grad school. Um, when, I first, when I first started it, it was about concealment. It was about kind of putting on this facade, this false front, mm-hmm. um, taking these materials that were plywoods and two by fours and, you know, salvaged sheet goods and stuff like that, uh, working them and finishing them up to the level and then covering and, and completely concealing it and not seeing... Um, not seeing the material to me in some ways got a, uh, didn't really fall in line with some of the, the language I was talking about, about being honesty and presenting um, the history of maybe this craftsmanship object, because mm-hmm. I wasn't glazing, you know, if yes. it's ceramics, I wasn't glazing it. I was shooting it with some car primer and then coming back with a combination of um, uh, oil-based and latex-based paints mm-hmm. to kind of create my surface. So there, there, there were some things that just, as I started to look at what I was saying, interpret, you know, kind of dive in and be critical and look back on, uh, look on back my, uh, to what I, you know, was it making sense kind of thing? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Say it. So, um, and, and then it, 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 it really started to pull back and want to go, um, you know, want to show the material and then also show the craftsmanship that, I was, you know, I, I was, I was preaching about, I was saying craftsmanship, craftsmanship, craftsmanship. And then I was like, well, yeah, you can hide crappy craftsmanship with some putty and some sandpaper and some paint. Like mm-hmm. I could be saying one thing and, and, and pulling the wool over your eyes. And so it didn't really jive. And I think in a couple of interviews, uh, I got caught and, and it tripped over my words and, and I was like, oh, so um, in 2016, uh, I got the Hamiltonian Fellowship. So when I was at the Hamiltonian Fellowship, it was really an opportunity to kind of take the previous 
five, six years of being here in, in Baltimore and, and the DC, you know, the MVA region. Uh, um, uh, so it, it, it was kind of, it naturally um, happened, um, but some of it I think was, was more deliberately forced. And during my time at Hamiltonian, I really wanted to start stripping back and pulling back the layers and being very, very conscious of the material that I was using. So I, I really simpled it down, you know, simplified it down to plywood and construction grade lumber. It wasn't anything very special. It was a lot of clear pine. It was half inch ACX, those, those grades of, of plywood, three quarter inch, so. Um, and the, the color palette itself, where are you pulling colors from? Or is that more of just a personal kind of aesthetic choice? No, that actually is pulling directly from navigation. So okay. using using those colors, using those color schemes and patterns, those are all uh, either if it's directly pulling from it, so kind of color combinations, mm -hmm. um, but also some of it is is artistic license. Yeah, you know, and be like, okay, you you set up this navigational flag to mean this, or this sign painted in this color to mean this. Yes that's that rules of the road well this is my road and this is kind of my highway kind of thing and i'm gonna take it and and do something else to it do something else to it kind of make a um make my own alphabet or make my own language um with my with my work and everything um much of the work that kind of um when i first came across your work i was really intrigued by this play between almost a two-dimensional space and entering the three-dimensional space, specifically thinking about um, the sculptures where they are all monochromatic and then playing with the wall plane and then the floor plane, and then there's a sculpture. Um, do you see this kind of reference to the kind of quote unquote traditional um, two-dimensional picture plane as kind of a, maybe a, a, subversive, a subversive commentary or is it just more of an exploration of how sculpture can function? Um, I, you know, I think there is some subversion in there. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, love to, well, love to be a little bit of a trouble causer. I can't you know, <laughs> not admit that, you know, it's, it's fun to kind of play, uh, poke fun, you know, being, being a sculptor, you're poking fun at the painters, the painters mm -hmm. are poking fun at the sculpture. Yeah. Um, but no, uh, honestly, it's, um, uh, I, you know, it's something that I, that I give credit a lot to my day job mm. and always being around and seeing really, really good prints and how if someone has really understood perspective, someone has really understood how to, to use that material or that process. And, you know, all kidding aside, you're looking at this thing, you're like, there's depth there. There is the, the, the way in which they put together this print or they put together this painting. If you just put blinders on me and you put it in the box and I was looking right at it, I might as well be in this immersive environment. I'm going to continue right. to find things. I'm going to continue to search. Um, and then to kind of pull that back to more of a personal experience, you know, the way in which um, kind of architecture uh, blends into itself and how through repetition and pattern, you, you kind of lose an object and then that goes into camouflage. And so a little bit of that history of, of hunting and, and spending time out outdoors and kind of that, that pursuit so holistically it's 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 kind of everything 
manifesting itself and and kind of being born into these explorations of 2D into 3D, 3D into 2D, and and kind of how those both merge because you know the sketchbook is really important and mm-hmm. um, it's not something I it's not something I really share in in terms of I know some artists are very public about their sketchbook. Um, Mine's a lot of stick figures and, and a lot of descriptions, a lot of detail. Like I'm writing plans and like it's all these plans out. This is going to go here. This is going to go here. So it's um, it's not particularly something I would I would share, but it's really important because that 2D and that structure provides a plan that then that plan follows into execution. Mm. And um, being being around prints and and being around that really um, really well-crafted object, you know, work on paper and, and, and in using a, a, a process, it, it, I just kind of struck this question is, well, 2D into 3D, 3D into 2D. And where, where, does, where does the foreground, middle ground, background, where can we kind of, you move in such an angle? So it's, it's very much kind of in, in a nod to optical illusion and, and using that, that, that moment in which is if we're walking around a city, for example, and you walk down and you walk by an alley and it's the perspective, the light, how the trash cans and the dumpsters and everything's really worked so that there's a point at which kind of everything lines up and what's in front, what's in middle and what's in back, they all kind of just merge together. So there is this, you know, uh, magic eye and wanting to, <laughs> <laughs> kind of want to make make the magic Iowa sculpture um you know think, just kind of I'm kind of somewhat thinking about back to um objects I remember from from childhood and and uh um uh, in my history and, and stuff like that so that's that's kind of you know I uh yeah that's where I would look at look at them being that way or or exploring the 2d to 3d to 2d kind of back who would you say are um, are some artists that you um, you look to um, for inspiration or or just over the course of your career that have been kind of influential um, artists that you've looked at and said, oh, I, I, I want to take this from them, take that from them. Who, who are these influences for you? Yeah, um, I have to say probably the one that really sticks out um, is Martin Currier. Um, absolutely uh, just loved his steadfast commitment to craftsmanship his steadfast commitment to material choices mm-hmm. and when you know the ups and downs the, the the popular you know popular material popular technique to not popular you look at his catalog and you look at his work it it really it never wavered too far off now compositions and material decisions and, and explorations were always there i mean his use of of um, various techniques. I mean, traditional crafting techniques to to kind of modern modern fabrication techniques. Um, so, and then more recently, he's he's explored the surfaces and putting some pretty pretty like tactile um, material on his sculpture that it changes it from being this kind of aggressive, uh, a very very stark piece, and it stands in attention to being very soft. But you know, it's a thousand pounds of wood so mm-hmm. um that's that's one person um god i've always it's i always feel bad because there's so many artists i look at 
and you know, Ron Nagel's another one. I don't know if you're familiar with Ron Nagel, mm-hmm. um, California ceramic artist um, and musician. He's he's kind of he's always had a, a musician gig, and he's been releasing uh, albums now in the last couple of years, or reissuing his albums. So I like his attention to detail and his use of ceramics. Um, he's he's a, a graduate of um, of kind of the California uh, Finnish fetish group. So he's a, he's a, he's a next of kin, I would call him, you know, Ken Price disciple, best buds with Ken, Ken Price, if you're familiar with it. So John McCracken, those kind of folks, but that kind of hot rod culture. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, that slick, um, that slick craftsmanship, you know, can you put a eight coats of clear coat on a candy coat and make it seem like it's 10 feet deep? Yeah. You know, you, you, you see that, uh, that attention and the curve of a, the curve of a, of a, a rear quarter panel on the sunshine it, it you know it, it harkens to things that are edible and inedible and and uh and it's all, so seductive yeah, it, is. <laughs> it really is um so at, at what i always like to ask people this because i because i find it such an, an interesting kind of distinction for ourselves as artists um but at what point in your career did you actually start calling yourself an artist yeah um I, yeah, I don't, I mean, maybe, maybe when I got the, when I got the piece of paper, I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, one, in one way, I, I probably felt more like an artist, um, than calling myself an artist when, you know, I had the full on independent studio, which, you know, we're studio neighbors. So mm-hmm. having that, that room to myself next, um, in crown and then also some, some, you know, career, career acknowledgements and accolades, you know, being a Sondheim finalist, which was huge, um, and kind of just blown away to, um, shortly thereafter, uh, having my first solo show in DC at, at Flashpoint Gallery, um, writing, uh, writing proposal, getting that proposal kicked back to me saying, we like the work, button it up, you're going to round two. And so being able to kind of go back to that and then, um, and a budget and, and working with uh, the curator, um, cur- curatorial advisory panel to putting the show together. So that, that was a really cool, um, cool experience. And then like Hamiltonian getting, getting the, uh, um, uh, getting the fellowship and then graduating from the fellowship and knowing that like, it was three or four years that I applied in a row. Um, mm-hmm. And it didn't, you know, it didn't sink that time or the time before, but for some reason, you know, Mercury wasn't retrograde or, you know, <laughs> I read my horoscope all in the road and all worked, I don't know, you know, someone, someone, someone liked it and then they saw it. Um, so, uh, kind of doing those, you know, it, it, uh, there's like getting the studio was important being independent and, but also, uh, acknowledgement from, uh, institutions and organizations because things like Sondheim, you know, those are, those are artists and those are curators. Mm-hmm. And those are professionals in the field that, you know, it's a subjective nature of the business that we work in, but to have individuals that are 10 years, your senior, 15, 20 years, and they're looking at you as, as an emerging artist and they're saying, oh, you know, we like what you, it's interesting what you're doing. And, and just even that, you know, win or, win or no win is, is like, okay, it's that re, reaffirm, reaffirming to say, keep going, 
keep going yeah keep going so it's uh it provides it's it's kind of the you know it's it's that bowl of cereal that you just kind of you know gets replenished every now and again and you're able to keep eating yeah that outside validation that can that can really light a fire under you in in the best way possible um and i would i would imagine you know being around the works that you're around every day that also lights such a fire underneath of you because you're you're seeing this quality work nonstop and you're like oh i got to I got to keep on, you know, pushing out, keep on executing these, these different works. Um, having such a experience within that kind of uh, conservation world um, and having seen so much, um, what would you say is one piece of art that you actually have to see in person before you die? What's, what's that one piece of art you need to make a pilgrimage to? Hmm. That's a good one. That's a good one. Huh. Um, oh man, you put me on the spot. That's, <laughs> that's, that's tough. I, you know, I don't, I, it was probably, you know, one of the, one of the things that really kind of stuck out to an experience for me is I don't know if it was one particular piece, but I think the experience of going to the Biennale, Mm. and not to cop out and say like I can't think of anything like no yeah I yeah you like if I if I pick something I'd be do, do, doing a disservice to to, to other I totally things. get that I'm yeah gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap it into um the Biennale and um for me it was there I, I was able to experience it on two different weekends I was over on a study abroad mm -hmm. art history program in graduate school and so we were there for five six weeks and it was going on at the time and, and to go two different weekends with two different groups of people. So it, it was, it was a cool experience and being able to see everything from, you know, Thomas Saraceno's work very early on in 2009 and like being in this room with this bungee corded kind of amoeba that's, you know, tied to all the walls and you're having to navigate through it and it bounce around and, you know, and, 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 coming from somewhere it's like oh I'm touching the art uh to seeing um uh Bruce Nauman's uh presentation at the at the American Pavilion and so it's 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 that experience um which I look back on fondly and and it's very nostalgic and mm -hmm. it's kind of uh if uh it's my pilgrimage it's my mecca um, it's, uh, you know, however, uh, it's the wailing wall or, um, <laughs> you know, mount on the rock. I mean, we could, we could pull out any, any number of religious kind of, uh, uh, analogies there, but it was, it was truly, it was, it was truly a, a point in my young career being still in school that was, um, I look back on and, and I'm kind of forever appreciative and, and, and fond of it. So. That, that's my answer. I'm sticking to it. I like that. I like that. Um, so this might be another bit of a uh, put you on the spot moment, but uh, do you have any kind of dream projects that you would like to eventually kind of accomplish? Yeah. Um, one of the, one of the projects is, um, and it, and it's, it, it got started back in almost a year, two years ago now. So this is spring of 2019, I was able to do um, the Denbo Fellowship at Pyramid Atlantic and, and take and start 
building an alphabet based on the maritime signal flag alphabet of my own out of sculptural parts and pieces for a larger completed portfolio. So as, as an artist and as someone who makes 3D, the, the, the conundrum we have is everyone wants to put things on the wall, but you're always, in, you're always gonna lose that battle to the couch, the lamp, the, the ottoman. You're gonna lose that battle as a three-dimensional person. It's just mm -hmm. like, you, if your work's gonna take up a place, it, 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 it better damn be important in a, in a home. So uh, I, I always admired artists that put out additions. So one of my dream projects that's it's gotten started, um, it's a little slow, uh, but I'm hoping that that one day my goal is to offer an entire, you know, portfolio in a, in a, in a case with a colophon, giving a full, you know, full front, explanation of all the little prints what their letters mean kind of the whole thing you get 26 prints or whatever language you know I'm thinking of the English language has 26 letters but mm -hmm. you know whatever whatever artistic license that I kind of come into but being able to develop a a sellable portfolio package that that a collector or or, or a patron could could purchase could hang it up and then also have that ability to kind of rotate them out because yeah, I work, you know, working in paper, the first thing you notice is you can only keep it up for so long because mm. UV is uh, UV's uh, public enemy number one when it comes to works on paper. So um, to kind of be able to always kind of change, um, have uh, have pieces in your in your in your arsenal to display or or mood to that room, you can put one in that room to that mood kind of, you know, play to it. So um, that's one thing that that um, I would really like to see. Come to fruition and 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 be completed. You know, it's it's nice to have it. Uh, it's going to be a marathon. I yeah. promise you that. <laughs> I, I love this idea though of the you know the the portfolio. We we always we see them happening all the time. Uh, prints and editions in that portfolio sold as as one piece. But I've never really considered you know switching out the piece on the wall. How it can how that can change just your your everyday life, your everyday experience of, of another room. Um, it seems so simple, but um, it's it's brilliant. Uh, just that kind of exchange. So I'm just kind of having an epiphany moment uh, right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I love that. I love that project. Um, do you see a uh, an, an end to it? Do you, do you see kind of uh, a, an obtainable goal as to when it might be completed? Um. You know, with, with, with everything that has come up with the pandemic and, and, and everything, I would have to, I wouldn't want to put a, uh, like a, a, a set date because I really like, if I put a set date on myself, I will absolutely just like buckle under all these weird levels of, uh, I mean, it would just, it, it's not healthy. Yeah. Um, so yeah. to, uh, to, to admit to you that I don't have a, a, a solid deadline date, um, but looking forward to when things get back to working, when yeah. when when art art institutions are able to be open in person, um, you know, opportunities to take three months and go do another residency, maybe out of state um, for a couple of weeks, and kind of you know complete complete four or five more there. So use it as a use it as an opportunity to. Um, 
you know, maybe it's, maybe it's not created all at once. Maybe it's created over the next five years, let's say. And in these next five years, I'm able to do five different residencies, short-term residencies, um, very focused residencies to, to select a, um, uh, you know, a section of the alphabet or a section of that portfolio and, 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 and work with that. So uh, yeah, you know, not to put a date on it, but we'll say five, five years. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> um, so, you know, over your career, um, I'm sure you've encountered some amazing people. Um, and they've all probably at some point given you some bit of advice. What is one piece of advice that really stands out to you in terms of your trajectory of a career? And what is one piece of advice you would like to pass on to a rising generation of creatives? Yeah, um, probably the one, the one bit of advice that I've, I've always kept close um, is, is, is really one that I, it's more of a, maybe, maybe it's a little bit more of an adage of, you know, um, if you're, if you're going to do the job, do the job right. Um, and, you know, in, in many different forms, it kind of manifests itself. Um, mm -hmm. it, it, it doesn't always come out so clean and simple as that. Um, so, you know, if, if you're going to do it, however you're, whatever you're going to do, I mean, put, put in 110% and, you know, understand that failure is part of success. Um, don't, uh, I mean, how many, how many uh, rejection letters you got in your uh, rejection letter, email folder? I mean, uh, I can't even count. <laughs> I know. I wish I could say like, you know, when you talk in these settings where it's like, all you're talking about is what you've done and success, but you know, maybe, maybe that other thing, that, that bit of advice I would pass along to the next generation is, is, you know, work with your failure, work with your failure and admit that you can fail. Um, yeah. and not everything is going to be perfect. I, I mean, there's, there's a sketch that gets turned into a sculpture that then all of a sudden gets cannibalized for two other sculptures. Mm. And looking back on it, yeah, that, that one sculpture is a failure. Um, it's, I mean, I guess maybe, maybe it's that A, B, C, D, E, F, that uh, the grading scale we're all raised with, um, that F is, F is the worst. Um, and I mean, even when I was growing up, the, the middle school has changed. They put in this E's, not F's, because it, it just, they tried to change the psyche and it didn't work. It made, it made you hate E just as much as you hated that. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, to, to, yeah, my one, my one bit of advice, my one bit of um, uh, kind of suggestion or, 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 you know, token and be like, embrace failure. Um, I don't, I mean, don't do it intentionally and don't be a, <laughs> you know, you know, don't be a jerk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, uh, embrace failure and, and, uh, yeah, I mean, learn from it. It, your, your writing is only going to get better if, right. if you are able to, you know, like take, take what other people are going to get to you. Your, your studio practice is only going to get better if you embrace that whole whole idea of failure and, and and not think of it as a bad word but think of it as a word that is going to get you to that next level um so yeah and i i, I feel as though um 
that's that sentiment is something that can't be reiterated enough um especially in today's culture where everything in terms of living online basically um is a curated experience so you're not seeing the failures of everyone's you know everyday studio practice let's take it to art in social media people you know they post that you know the great works they're not really posting you know the hundreds of pieces that came before that that failed tragically um and i think younger generations aren't necessarily aware of that as much as we are um because mm -hmm. we've we've you know been in the studio we know that there's you know 10 pieces that fail for that one piece that actually exists that functions um so i i, I love that idea of embracing failure and and using it to to learn because that's that's how we learn um and not mm -hmm. putting too much pressure pressure on yourself yeah yeah uh, you know it it is i think a bedrock to to evolution you mm. know because you know my, you know, one of those kind of taking a step back and, and, and looking, you know, now 10 years, 10, 10 years post-school of, of, of like seeing, seeing this processes, you know, you'll see people around you, they'll get success, they'll get acknowledgements, you know, trust me, I've been envious and I've been jealous, I'll be the first to admit it. Mm -hmm. um, but, in, but, but using that as like a way to light the fire under your ass, but also hold yourself accountable, you yeah. know, I mean, you, you, you could be envious as hell of someone, but walk into that show that they're having or walk into that experience that they're putting on and, and, and give them, give them the 10 or 20 or 30 minutes that's required and go into it. Yeah. You're going to go into it with your bias. You're going to go into it with your, your prejudice, um, your thinkings of, of whatever that person might've done. But if you don't give the work a chance, you're not going to, you're not doing yourself a favor because through some of the work that is probably the hardest to digest and the hardest to relate to, it'll show you something about your work. It might show you how you need to communicate to your work. Um, and, and I say that because you might, you, you might be, you, you have the blinders on, you know, you are the, you're pulling that buggy and you've got the blinders on and all this stuff is happening in your periphery. But if, if you're too myopic, you know, so, so think, thinking about it, um, and, but also in, 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 you know, taking on that responsibility and, and embracing it um, and taking ownership of it. So, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're not perfect. And, and like you said, if you look at social media, if you follow the news, if you follow contemporary culture, it is very curated. And I, I probably, you know, being, a, being 36 now, um, looking back on it being, what is it? I'm a millennial, um, an older one, but I'm still a millennial and how I remember there was an internet when I first went into school, it was mm -hmm. late middle school, but it was, there were still times where you had a computer, but it was those floppy disks. You put them in, you slammed it down and you hoped the computer worked. So but that's <laughs> yeah. rural Illinois. So, you, you know, we were, we were years behind it. Um, <laughs> And, but, but thinking of, of, of both, both sides of that, but now that there's individuals that have to be, um, I mean, they're, they're, they're glued to their phone or they're glued to this perfectly curated um, expectation and mm -hmm. goes back to that idea of failing. Like you can't fail. You can't show that, you know, you, 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 you made a painting that you thought was good and you, you put all your efforts into it and then you go and put it out there and it just gets 
cut down at the knees. We've all been through critique. If you've been through yeah. critique in undergrad or grad school, you can put your heart into something, go put it out there and you'll trip over your words and people will, will absolutely focus on that. And you will walk out of that room wondering where your brain went. Right, right. And, and your, your brain and your pride are two different things and you're trying to put them back together because in 24 hours, you've got to go and do it again or you've got to go teach a class or, you know, so uh, it, um, yeah, it's, it's, God, it's like looking back on that stuff and how uh, it, it could, uh, for some folks, it's probably um, uh, flashback inducing. So. Yes, yes. And sometimes the, the best way, though, like because we overcame it and we're, we're still working through it. Um, so once again, learning from those failures. Um, with that all being said, I think that is kind of the, uh, the perfect place to kind of uh, to end this conversation. Um, so if if people are looking for your work, where might they be able to find it? Yeah, um, the my website, www.kylejbauer.com. Uh, it's, uh, that's probably where the most up to date, I also have an Instagram handle at Kyle J Bauer. Um, and so those are, those are really where, uh, the work is existing now. Um, I'm not, you know, since the pandemic, I haven't been that good of a, a poster of Instagram, but, uh, new year, new promise. Let's keep that, uh, that uh, new year's resolution going <laughs> if I can still put one in, uh, but upcoming for shows, there's um, uh, an opportunity that's being built at um, kind of created and it all depends on what happens with uh, the pandemic at the Creative Alliance in the fall. Uh, more information to come on to that, but if they're able to uh, go forth with it, um, I'm looking forward to that as a, a curated show of uh, mostly artists in the region that are sculptors. So um, Thomas James is the curator from the Creative Alliance and um, you know, shout out to Thomas and, and his uh, um, willingness to, to include and, and uh, show the work, having never really done a studio visit. So, mm. uh, but maybe one day we'll get there. Amazing, amazing. Kyle, thank you so much for, for being a part of this project, for being on the show. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation. It's, it, it's been great. Um, everyone, make sure that you take time to go and see Kyle's work and tune in next week for our next episode. All right, so Kyle, I will see you later. All right, see you later. Thanks, Jeremy. All right, bye.